the Jericho Network on Westwood One. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. Welcome to uh, Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Westwood One. Joining me on this episode is singer Brent Smith of the band Shinedown. They have a new album coming out in May called Attention, Attention. At the end of the show, I have Alex from Tax to Heat. Now, what's great about Tax to Heat, new band, they are managed by Siren Management that has Europe, Saxon, Uriah Heat, Blackstar Riders, and Thin Lizzy on the roster. And it is so nice to see a younger band or a newer band uh, get a chance and be positioned on that. And, and in the middle of those two, I have the one, the only, Rick Ashley. And no, folks, I am not Rick rolling you. I actually have Rick Ashley, the real, genuine, never going to give you up guy, Rick Ashley. And you have to take a listen to this interview because it is a compelling, compelling story. He is very, very affable, very nice. You will love listening to him because he really tells a good story. And uh, honestly, probably one of my favorite interviews of the last year, two, three just a great interview, and uh, to uh, help me sort through all this madness, it is on the phone currently. He's been sitting there patiently. The one, the only, from Keel, singer Ron Keel. Good day, Ron. Greetings, Mitch, and everyone listening. Thanks for uh, letting me ride shotgun, talk the rock, and rock the talk on the show. What a great lineup of interview you have this week yeah you know it's that's the fun thing about rock talk i mean i used to be the metal guy always metal 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 but i I love having the opportunity to not only do you know ron keel and and shine down and and all these other bands guns and roses and stuff but i've had ub40 i've had uh you know foreigner and simple minds and now rick it's just nice to sort of spread the wings and just and i've got moby coming up on on an episode so it's just nice to sort of you know stretch out a little bit but uh, now speaking of stretching out you've had a new album that came out in march called metal cowboy that features the song rock and roll hell that was on this kiss tribute album that i put together in 2013 so by the way a big thank you for that we ended up giving thirty-five thousand dollars to a palliative care home here in vaudreuil dorian quebec so uh, thank you for participating, and I'm so glad to see that it has landed on the Metal Cowboy uh, album. Just just a great track and overall great album. So um, just, just a quick word on that album. To, just tell the folks about it and, and maybe where they can get it. Well, it is a great track, and certainly a, a big part of my recent history, a fantastic rendition of the Kiss classic Rock and Roll Hell uh, which originally appeared on Creatures of the Night, and you were kind enough to invite me to participate in that A World with Heroes uh, album to raise money for cancer uh, treatments and research, and you let me choose the song, because it was a song that I had been doing in my acoustic shows at the Kiss Expos, and I just felt a, a great affinity for that tune. So I chose that one, and you let me record it, and you brought some great guys to the to the party with you. Eric Brittingham from uh, Cinderella, Jeff yep. Labar from Cinderella, and... Uh, Troy Laketa from Tesla on the drums, so a really killer lineup, a great recording, and it fits right in the context with the Metal Cowboy album uh, that we've reissued, remastered, remixed, and reloaded, just now out uh, this week on EMP Outlaw Records. Uh, David Ellison from Megadeth signed us to that deal and and has put the record out in in a reloaded fashion, and that Kiss track fits fantastic with the uh, songs that I wrote and originally released 
2014. You can get that CD right now at ronkeel.com, empmerch.com. And uh, just very, really proud that uh, this record has a new lease on life, thanks to EMP. Yeah, that, that's great. And of course, you've got the uh, Ron Keel Band album, Fight Like a Band, coming out at the end of August this year, August 31st, again on EMP. Uh, and what else do we have? Oh, yes, The Final Frontier and Keel from 86-87, remastered and reissued, coming out on Rock Candy, which is going to be spectacular, because Rock Candy does remastering right. They, they know how to do a reissue. Yeah, they sure do. And this is a long time coming. We have been working really hard to secure the licenses and rights uh, necessary to get those albums re-released and in the hands of the fans that have been paying, you know, a a pretty hefty sum on eBay and online uh, for for years, decades now. So uh, we're glad that uh, those albums as well can finally get the proper reissue thanks to Rock Candy. Yeah, so that that's going to be great. So so let's let's get on to to today's show. We've got Brent Smith from Shine Down coming up. New album, like I said, is Attention Attention. Now, you have told me that you are a Shine Down fan. So so sort of tell me that history. Where where did you discover them? Where did you hear from them? And I've had a chance to hear Attention Attention. It really is a grabber. I mean, it really grabs your attention. It's a great little album. Yeah, I've heard uh, the single devil the new single that sort of got two and a half million hits on youtube right and, uh, on, you know, only two and a half million uh, in three, three <laughs> weeks two and a half million views yeah you know being in radio now also on the other side of the microphone for the past what uh six years or so always searching for new music that i like if i'm not trying to create music or write music or release or perform music i'm looking uh, i've got my radar on to try and find new cool stuff and see what what the state of rock and roll is uh, what the future holds, and these guys have managed to carve out quite a nice career for themselves in the last, uh, what, uh, 17 years, five albums, now six with the new one, and uh, over 10 million sold, 11 number one hits. That stuff is tough to do uh, in the music business the way the, the, way the business is now. Uh, it, uh, it's very difficult to achieve that level of success, so I've, I've admired that, plus I just dig the songs. It's yeah. about the songs and about a great singer delivering those songs. and So that's what drew me to the band when I first started playing them on the radio. And now when, when I need to whip out the big guns on the air, I'll find me a Shinedown track and crank it up. Yeah, and what I, what I find remarkable is when we talk about the music industry, we say, well, there'll never be another Kiss or another Aerosmith or these 40-year careers. They won't exist anymore. People are too ephemeral. They just It's all about singles and, and there's no support and... And yet, here's a band that has is new in a sense, right? They they're from the they're from the new millennium. Yeah, yeah, they are current. They are from this at least this millennium. Yeah, right. And and they have 17 years under their belt. So they they go against that trend of oh well, you can't have careers like ACDC and stuff anymore. It's like well, yeah, you can. And and the trick is you have to have the songs. If you don't have songs, you don't have a career, and that applies to everybody. And so they're, they're delivering. And yeah, I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. How do you think you, you manage to, to have a career in this day and age where everybody says, well, it, it's, it's, it's too saturated with YouTube and it's too saturated with Spotify and nobody can discover you. And yet here they are 17 years later. And you know, the, the trick is you just got to be really good. You got to be really good these days to separate yourself from the pack. Uh, back in the day, I'm not to. Dis or, or d- disrespect any of my peers or contemporaries. Back in the day, 
all you had to do was live in L.A. and then you get a record deal. Or you get a record deal, you get a video on MTV and immediately you've sold 90,000, 100,000 records. And uh, it, it's just not that easy anymore. Uh, the, the cream really does rise to the top uh, the, in this day and age. You've got to be great. There's, uh, a, a, I think, a level of bands like Shinedown, Godsmack, uh, and such that uh, have achieved that mega, mega status. And then there's a lot of bands that are uh, on the bottom floor and not a whole lot in between because uh, I think that just the nature of the business now will, will uh, dictate that you've got to be really good to succeed these days. And consistent. And consistent. You cannot put out crap album after crap album and have a fan base. You have to deliver quality after quality after quality. And they have, and attention, attention uh, continues that tradition. So let's let's get let's get to it. Here is from the band Shinedown, lead vocalist Brent Smith. We are speaking with Brent Smith of the band Shinedown. The new album is Attention, Attention. Good day, Brent. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? Good, good. Great pleasure to talk to you. And I want to talk about the new album, but I also want to talk about the acoustic sessions you did a couple of years back, because those were absolutely uh, brilliant. Just brilliant. Thank but, you. Yeah. I very um, much appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie. I'm going to start with that just real quick. Um, the choice of songs on those Smith & Myers albums, where you went from The Clash to Otis Redding to Metallica to Soul Asylum to Black Crows, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Very eclectic and yet... Diversity? Yeah. Well, yeah, eclectic and diversity and the way you presented them and the way you sort of brought them all together... Um, it just it was just really well done, just really brilliant. And, and so I'll just ask you this, and then we'll get to attention, attention. Uh, there was sort of a part one and a part two. Will there at some point be more Smith and Myers albums and, and acoustic sessions? And I know you did a little tour a, a while back, but is that something that's done, or is that something that is still active? And yeah, we'll get to it when we get to it. Absolutely, it's totally still something that can happen in the future. Me and Zach did that in regards to um, the fans because the fans had asked us over the years, Hey, would you ever think about covering a song from this artist or from this band? And we were always like, yeah, maybe. And we had the time to do this and we actually did it on Facebook and we kind of gave the decision-making to the audience. And we, we did it like in two weeks and we would just put two songs up against one another which ones of these two would you like us to, to cover? And whichever song got uh, the most votes by the fans on the Facebook uh, that we had done, that was the one that we would do. So we did 10 songs in all. So we had 20 songs up against each other. The 10 songs that we did were the ones that you hear on those two digital pieces um, that became Smith and Myers. One of the reasons why we had to do it one at a time, uh, why there's like a white version and then there's a black version um, of the of the two digital EPs is we were having to wait on uh, publishing because we wanted to make sure the artists were um, totally understanding what this was and that the royalties were going where they needed to go. Um, and we were just going to do it for the, for the fans and just leave it as a digital piece. Uh, but people really, really liked it. So a couple of years ago, we decided to do a tour on it and we did like, they were probably 500 to a thousand capacity buildings. Um, not every show sold out the first time we did it, um, but it was a fun run. And then Zach, last year, as we were making the new record, Attention, Attention, 
he asked me right around August, he said, Hey, would you mind if we went back out and did um, the Smith and Myers tour in December? Um, and I said, sure, why not? And so we went and we did it. I was a little concerned about the size of the venues because they were like in the 2000 capacity range. There was one building, I think that was like 2,500, but that entire tour sold out in advance actually. So I, I was kind of blown away by not even having any kind of new material from me and him in regards to like more, you know, uh, a current digital piece you know uh i was actually very very surprised with how well the ticket sales went and we actually had a fantastic time we went out there and did it and it's a totally different side of the band definitely and of course what you know listen when you deliver quality fans will show up i mean it's, it really comes down to that but uh let us move to attention attention first album in three years last one threat to survival in 2015 you come back with a concept album talk to me about putting that together because for some bands it has worked like operation mind crime with queensrike and for other bands like judas priest with nostradamus eh, not so much so so talk to me about putting together this album and and sort of the storyline and and what were you trying to say a lot of why the conceptual idea got brought up is that in 2016, we were finishing basically a lot of the touring cycle for the album Threat to Survival. So we finished up in November and December. We were on tour with a band, uh, Five Finger Death Punch. And Eric was just very open about, he was kind of, I'm going to go stir crazy on this tour if I don't do something to occupy myself. And so he brought a smaller rig uh, with him, his Pro Tools rig, and he wrote a composition every day. He Every show day, he would go into the arena, he would find a room, and he would just write a composition. No lyrics, no melody, uh, just music. Anywhere between three minutes and 30 seconds to four minutes. Uh, so it was just music. So in the beginning of January of 2017, I this was the first time that I had heard some of that, because he had about 22 pieces and so I started to listen through everything with him in Charleston. And as we were listening to it, I thought to myself, because of the way they all kind of fit together, I said, huh, we've never done a concept record. Um, maybe we should attempt this. The interesting thing is, is that we actually never used any of those 22 pieces. Um, we used a synth part for what became the intro to the last song on the album, which is called Brilliant. And, but what, what actually happened was as we began to write the record, it's not a traditional concept record. We call it more of a story album. Because like you said, if you're talking about conceptual pieces like Queensryche, you know, doing Operation Mindcrime or Pink Floyd's The Wall, or even like Tommy's, you know, uh, the or the Who's Tommy. Right. Those are very, very specific um, concept records with different characters and different places and all that. This album is a lot more about allowing the songs to tell the story. But the whole record takes place inside of a room. If you watch the first single video, which is a song called Devil, if you watch the video, this is the beginning of the story. The listener, we want them to put themselves in that chair because the beginning of the record starts with, you know, a knock on the door, the door opens, they walk in, they sit down, they take a deep breath, and then they exhale. And that begins this psychological, physical, and emotional 
journey. But the album and it's the album is really a representation of it's about not being afraid to fail. I think that a lot of times people will put themselves in a corner and they will paralyze themselves in regards to whatever they are trying to accomplish or if they have certain goals, but it is a little bit outside of their box per se. They kind of second guess themselves before they even attempt it. And I don't feel like people are going to be defined by their failures. I think you'll be defined by the fact that you didn't give up. And that's a lot of what attention attention is. Yeah. And, and, and I do agree with that because, uh, you know, listen, I actually did a master's in psychology and, and a lot of people do give up before they, people think that failure is, is not a road to success. But if you look at any great inventor, they failed hundreds of times before they got that thing. And so that's, that's important. Uh, how are you going to present the album in a live setting though? Do, do you go to the live shows and I know you've got shows with Godsmack, but is it going to be the entire album presented or how do you sort of pick out the songs and, and fit it in with the other ones? One of the things about this band is that we just don't rest on our laurels. We don't really believe in a top or a ceiling. I think that if you have uh, the the mindset that you've arrived, then you should probably stop doing whatever it is you're doing. Um, we don't, we're not built like that. Um, we, we're always trying to outdo what we've already done and go to the next step in regards to um, the band and our career and just being artists and being musicians and songwriters. And when it comes to the live show, we take that extremely seriously. We are a band that believes in production. We're a band that believes in theatrics and we're a band that believes that if we can turn everybody in the audience into third graders, you know, and give them like the most amazing rock show they've ever seen, then, then, then we're doing what we set out to do. We, we like to see the inner kid come out, you know, when people are at shows, I like to see, you know, we're into like watching the audience really have a fantastic time. But if you know anything about the band, a lot of the subject matter is very, very heavy in these songs because I can't write from a made up place. I have to write what I know about and what I've been through and where I've gone and where I'm going and the people and the places that I encounter. So from a, from a visual standpoint, you know, devil is technically the 24th single that we've released as a band now coming with six records. That's something that we don't take lightly. So in that same understanding of the catalog you also have to look at the new material as well this record being as specific as it is and in my opinion probably the best work that we have done as a band um in the last 10 years um i think that we have to kind of gauge it by its momentum you don't want to not play certain songs for the audience when you're going to not only North America or Canada or all the other countries, whether it be European audiences, South America, South Africa, India, China, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. You know, we're a global band and especially in UK and in Europe. So for us, we have to look at the audience and we have to look at the timing of everything. And um, usually the universe will push us in the direction that we need to go. I, I mean, definitely maybe at the end of next year or maybe in the middle of next year, we will have a complete show that 
is all of attention attention because that would be awesome to, to to play it out because it is a full story um but uh in, in the same breath we um are celebrating this year uh not only the release of our sixth record but in june we'll celebrate our uh 10-year anniversary of uh of our record the sound of madness so we've got quite a few things to be celebrating right now so we're definitely going to make uh we're definitely not going to let the audience down let's just put it that way yeah and i certainly wasn't suggesting you would but it's gonna it should be great um talk to me about what your decision in 2011 here you're you're you were i don't want to say extremely overweight but you were you were overweight and you said okay uh, i'm gonna say i was extremely overweight all right so you were extremely overweight where does the light go off in your head where do you say hey enough I need to turn this around. Um, was it just, I don't look good and I need to turn this around? Or was it, I don't feel good, I need to turn this around? Or uh, Talk to me about that decision. And then uh, I, I want to talk about the struggle after that, because it's fine to lose 70 pounds. And, uh, you know, I lost 40 pounds. Not, but after that, trying to keep it off is such a mental struggle sometimes. Um, talk to me about the light bulb first going off and you go, yeah, okay, it's enough. One of the things is for me personally, from a physical standpoint, is I had to get not comfortable, but I had to understand that I had gotten to a place where I needed to demand more of myself um, because I was I had a lot of excuses why I got heavy. Uh, some of it was the fact that I stopped doing drugs and I quit drinking alcohol and um i just kind of ballooned because my uh you know whether it was boredom and i was eating just for the you know the sake of boredom or or what have you i i i think that for me i have to be really upfront with you um i was still drinking at a certain point in time in 2011 and a very very close person to me um, I was finishing up studio work uh, with um, the record Amaryllis, and I had come home pretty late, and I had found a bottle of Kettle One behind uh, the cabinet in the kitchen that I had probably stashed, and I was probably like midnight when I got home. And then I just proceeded to take that bottle out. And the my friend found me the next morning, you know, pretty much laid out on the, the kitchen floor. And they picked me up. They put me over to the couch. And they pulled my hair back and they kind of wiped my face. They kind of woke me up a little bit like, yo, hey, wake up. And uh, they let me kind of get my bearings um, for about 30 minutes and then they came over and you know what I had been talked to before and I had been, you know, had the whole thing with everybody around me. Like, we love you. We just want the best for you. We think you have a problem, but something interesting happened when this person on this particular day picked me up off the floor and looked at me and said, I'm going to lay it. I'm going to lay it out very, very simple to you, Brent. And they said, uh, you are way more dangerous when you are clear-headed and focused. Nobody likes this guy. As a matter of fact, 
everybody thinks this dude is a horrible, horrible human being. So I'm going to say it to you again. You are way more dangerous when you are clear-headed and focused. It's time for you to get your head out of your ass and get back in the game. And for whatever reason, that particular day, to this day right now, talking to you, I always think about if I'm ever going back down that road again of not being healthy, that person, you know, what they said to me that day, it just kind of stays with me. And I think I was just ready. You know, I hadn't been ready before, but I was ready then. And, uh, yeah, I just, I did it one day at a time. There's no magic wand. There's no magic spell. There's no magic pill, you know, with it or whatever you look at it. I had to learn, uh, I had to learn how to get strong again. And, uh, I learned how to exercise right. And I learned how to eat right. And yeah, I mean, where I am now, I'm in pretty solid shape right now. Um, but I'm just kind of forever in training, but you know what, man, if I want a cheeseburger, I'll eat a cheeseburger, you know, I don't deprive myself, but I have to be conscious of, you know, what I'm doing and, uh, you know, just what I demand of myself from a physical standpoint on stage, I wouldn't be able to do it if I was out of shape. Yeah. And that's gotta be the big difference is the performance because you must have more endurance does it change your voice at all? Because, you know, when you look at a Pavarotti or whatever, and you look at sort of the operatic voices, they have these big, burly, you know, people. Uh, did it change how you sing at all? It made me stronger. Okay. Um, it definitely helped my technique a lot better because, um, especially from just the cardio side of everything, I can be way more active on stage and way more intense, but I can still hold, you know, the air, you know? Um, but it's like being a, it really is like being an athlete. Like once I get out on the road and I start to train and then I start to do, you know, the hour and a half, two hours a night on stage. Cause I mean, I work out every single day, especially on show days, you know, I'm, I usually do an hour to an hour and a half, four hours out from when I'm going to be on stage. So, um, that endurance helps me, um, not only with my, uh, just my intensity, but, uh, yeah, my voice is definitely, um, way stronger, um, when I'm in shape. So yeah, it definitely helps. It really does. Um, you mentioned, of course, the sound of madness, uh, 10 years ago, album just out of control, devour number one on main, U.S. mainstream uh, Billboard, Second Chance, Sound of Madness, The Crows. And the, I mean, just number one on the mainstream charts all over, up and down. Would you consider that one the, the breakthrough album for you? Is that the one that sort of changed everything? I never knew whether how to look at that album in regards to was it the breakthrough album. It definitely was a career-changing album in regards to the amount of people that like the first two albums we kind of we had we were put into sort of a genre if you will and that that audience was very specific and then when madness came out another thing too with madness is that that whole rollout on that album was not something that happened overnight in regards to the six singles that were released off of that record uh Technically, from the moment that record came out and the very, very first show that we did on the touring cycle of that record to the very last show that we did on that cycle 
we toured that record for 37 months and went all over the world. And another thing too, is it wasn't just a rock record from the format position in regards to like radio and the reach. It was a crossover record because um, second chance, not only was a number one song on alternative and active and mainstream, it was also a number one song on hot AC and I remember we we almost were number one on top forty. I remember the week that we were number two on 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 the top forty. Uh, the Black Eyed Peas, for whatever reason, uh, we just couldn't get them uh, on on that uh, on that one week that we had the opportunity. But I knew something was different when I found out in regards to. The, the Sound of Madness record for the song Second Chance, which was a big crossover. But Casey Kasem, who was a legend in radio and in regards to disc jockeys, like authentic disc jockeys and like the voice of, you know, he was the guy that you would listen to, you know, with the, you know, the, the weekly top 40 and all those kinds of things. Right. The, the, the song that he signed off the air after 30 plus years of being a disc jockey the last song he played at number one uh, as a DJ was Second Chance. And uh, that's when I was kind of like, wow, that's, uh, that's pretty remarkable. That's actually pretty cool because, um, you know, we all know him from his long distance dedications and all that. But th the fact that you were the very last song after his illustrious career uh, that he rolls out to, that's that's actually kind of cool. That's, that, that is, in fact, very cool. Um, for the 10th year, though, of The Sound of Man. And also yeah. with him, you know, being, you know, that being, you know, his sign off the air. And it was our first time being on that countdown where his, you know, legacy, I don't want to say ended, um, but, you know, he signed off. I feel like we signed on to a whole different, you know, fan base and audience uh, for our career that continues to keep growing every record. Yeah, it really does. Uh, you mentioned before that it was the 10th year, but so, so how do we celebrate it? it, it, it you know, are, is there going to be special uh, full album shows? Is there going to be, how do you sort of celebrate 10 years of this? And I will call it a career changer um, for Shine Down. How do you sort of look back on it with the fans and, and while you're on tour with Godsmack this summer and stuff and say, hey, folks, yeah, let's let's take a moment for this album. Well, I don't know if I would I don't know if I would say that to the audience like that, but I appreciate what you're saying. Um, I uh, I think the best way we can celebrate it is when it's time to play those songs that are on that album in the set that we just, you know, we make sure we just dig into them. You know, I don't know if we're going to, you know, necessarily say things about the record and the 10 year on stage and what have you, especially with having a new record out and one that, in my personal opinion, is the best work that we've done in over a decade um, with this new album. I think we'll just have to kind of see. Uh, there's been a couple of conversations that have been about um, there's the quintessential like those landmark albums. Uh, whether it be your 10 year anniversary or your 20 year anniversary, um, which is another thing that's pretty crazy because we are going out with Godsmack later in the year and they're celebrating their 20th anniversary of their debut album, which I believe in the United States has sold somewhere up in eight to 9 million copies. So um, it's kind of cool that they're doing that. And then we're on the tour with them as well as a co-headline. 
and we're celebrating on top of having a new record as well because Godsmack has a new record out this year as well. Um, we're celebrating a 10-year anniversary of a record that you know means quite a lot to us as well. So I don't know. Maybe we'll do something up our sleeves you know, when we're, uh, when we're out there together, there's been talks about doing, you know, of course shows where you play the record back to back, but, uh, just like, I don't believe in greatest hits albums. You know, I don't necessarily know if I uh, would go down that path of playing, you know, that record right now in its entirety, there's a lot of new material and we got a lot more to do. You know, devil is technically our 24 single as a band. Right. And that in and of itself is, a uh, is something I don't take lightly. We always want to make sure that we're we're on top of our game um, in regards to how we present ourselves to the audience. I think the audience knows something about us, and that is that we're always going to surprise you. Yeah, you really are. And I'll I'll wrap up with this. You are doing the uh, the tour with Godsmack, as we've as we've mentioned. It is part of the Live Nation Ticket to Rock uh, promotion, if you want to call it that. Uh, just talk to me about about those shows and, and this concept of getting three shows or four shows for 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Um, what does that mean for fans? And, and what does it mean for the bands to know that you're not going to be selling tickets at 150, thank God. And that fans, every fan now can come to a show and it's affordable and, and it's bringing music back to the people the way it should be. I think you just said it right then and there. Um, I don't think that people should be gouged to go see their, their, the bands that they're into. You know what I mean? I don't think that that's fair uh, to the public. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we listen to our audience and we care what they have. You know, they, they, we really care about what they have to say. And, and I think that all the bands that are a part of this uh, promotion that's being done right now with Live Nation in regards to our ourselves and Godsmack, we were totally for it. And then, you know, when you talk about like the other acts that are involved in this, we know all those people. And I think they would feel the same way. This is about the consumer and allowing them to be able to come out and not only see one great show for, you know, a very reasonable price, but you're going to get to see three to three to four you know, for that price. And I think it's something that um, it's, it's a thank you to the audience and um, you know, Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie, you know, they're a part of this package. Um, five I finger that breaking Benjamin and, and uh, yes. five finger death punch yep. are a part of this package. Of course, us and Godsmack, they're a Pro- part, we're a part of the package. And I believe profits are rage and events. three days. Great. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and oh, is it profits and rage? Okay. Profits cool. are rage and events sevenfold. And, and it's just great because I have known Jason Hook of uh, Five Finger since the time that he was playing with Mandy Moore. I mean, I've known him for 20-some years personally. And your band, his band, Godsmack Avenge, those are very much fan-friendly bands. And that's what I like about what you guys do. It's not about the gouge. It's about we've got a fan base. We know that some of these kids can't afford and so for that, I respect you and I respect uh, Jason and Five Finger and all those guys. Just It's just great what you do. And, and so thank you for that, because it's nice to see that there are still some bands that realize that their fans aren't all millionaires. And it's, it's great. Thank, so, so thank you for that, Brent. Absolutely, man. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I've, like I said, uh, you know, many times, you know, we only have one boss. It just happens to be everybody in the audience. And we're not trying to, 
you know, we want them and we still want to give them a big, giant, awesome rock show. And that's exactly what we're going to do. But we're, we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to gouge people, man. It's, it's, it's really, really pointless. We want people to be able to come and see us play. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, new album is Attention, Attention. Brent, absolute pleasure talking with you this afternoon. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Cheers. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you for your time. Cheers. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Big thank you to Brent Smith of Shinedown. New album is Attention, Attention. Do check that out. It, well, of course, it's, it is only out in May, but, but sit around, be patient, and then check it out. Um... We have again Ron Keel with us. Uh, do check out his ronkeel.com. There you go, Ron. That was uh, Brent. I hope you enjoyed that. But now, let us move along to Rick Ashley. Right? Why not? Uh, that, well, that's a tough act to follow, Shine Down. <laughs> the only guy that could probably do it uh, is Rick Ashley. And, and hats off to you for being so diverse in your taste and uh, quality of guests this week on the show, man. Uh, Rick Ashley, a uh, a one-hit wonder, if you would. I mean, is that is that a is that an insult? I mean, better to have one hit than none hits, right? Well, listen, I would take the one hit and Absolutely. all the money and the fame and the traveling around the world that went with it, rather than, you know, work at the garden department in Walmart. So, no, I'm <laughs> no offense to Walmart. And the guy's Walmart. still out there doing sold-out shows and doing what he loves to do and uh, entertaining people. That's what it's all about. Yeah, in fact, he, he's got this uh, show at the Corona in Montreal, and he's got some other ones in Toronto and other places. And the Montreal one, you know, 1,400 people sold out. And I mean no disrespect to anybody from the 80s, but there are some uh, some other bands out there that have all these album stuff, and they have trouble getting 50 people to a show. So, listen, you, you, you can't complain. You know, and I bet it's a good show, too. I bet it's a party, a celebration, and a really good, positive, good time. Oh. Kind of show, uh, I'm sure it's fantastic. Yeah, so so you know, this is what I thought would be interesting because you look at a band like Shine Down, which is sort of a a newer band compared to what we normally talk about with Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. And then Tax to Heat are, for the lack of a better word, rookies in the business, but they're making their way up. And and Rick is just this fun kind of interview that I that I like to do and that I want to bring fans because it can't always be this serious stuff and it can't always be metal, metal, metal because there's there's more to it. And, you know, how, how can you deny the fact that, okay, it's a pop song, but it's a it's a cultural song. You look at Rick Rowling, you look at, at, at it's instantly recognizable. I mean, he's a cultural phenomenon. He's not just a singer. So how could I say no to an interview with Rick? Absolutely. You know, I grew up in a time when it was all pop music. They would play the Jackson 5 and Black Sabbath on the same radio station because they were hits. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and, and you know, I do an interview show, and it, like I said, I can't just keep having the same five guys from the same five bands every week because at some point it just gets a little bit redundant, and this is a nice way to stretch it. And I've stretched it in the past. I've had... Um, you know, Simple Minds, I've had UB40, and so I hope folks appreciate that. And what I enjoyed is on April 1st of this year, I uh, posted on my socials that I have Rick Ashley coming to an episode, and, and I did it on purpose, by the way, to put it on April 1st, and everybody went, yeah. ha, 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 happy April yeah. fools, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, n- no, 
But I want people. I wanted people to think that it was an April Fool's on purpose, so that when they get to the show today, they'll go, "Oh, Mother Trucker, he he, oh, <laughs> he really did it. He really did it." And kudos to you for scoring an interview with Rick Astley. And uh, I'm looking forward to that discussion. Yeah, yeah. When they offered it to me, I was like, "Damn right." I'm not saying no to that. I mean, again. So they contacted you. You didn't reach out. You didn't go searching for him. They came to you. Well, yeah, you know, it's 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 the BMG folks. Uh, they um, they 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 pitched me Simple Minds and they pitched me a bunch of other stuff. And at the bottom of the email, it says we also represent Rick Rick Rick. And I said, hey, listen, I do a, an interview show. If there's anybody ever want to, just suggest and we'll see. And it was like, do you want to talk to Rick? And I was like. Yeah, I mean, hell yeah! <laughs> uh, Never gonna give you up is is an iconic song, and I don't care who you are. At some point in your life, whether you're a metalhead or a punker or a country guy or opera, at some point you heard that somewhere at a wedding, at a show, and you 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 had that moment of happiness, and you went, oh. And not a lot of songs can do that, and this one can. And so I needed to to, to talk to Rick and 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 get his side of the story, and. He could not have been nicer. He was such a yeah. nice guy. You know. So anyway, so let's just get right. mention yeah. the mention of his name. You you said that uh, he was going to be on the show, and immediately that song starts spinning in my mental jukebox, and it won't stop. Somebody turn it off. I know, right? And, and that's that's and, and you know who 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 does that? If I say Black Sabbath, you have you don't necessarily have one song pop in your head, and that's that's the that's the testament of what Rick Ashley is. That's it's, it's cool. Fun and it's it's great, and you know, listen. Uh, so let's let's just get to it. Uh, we're never going to give you up, Rick. So here he is, the one, the only, and I'm going to say it, singer extraordinaire, Rick Ashley. We are singing. Uh, we are singing. Uh, there we go. Uh, we are speaking <laughs> with a singer, Rick Ashley. Uh, a great, great pleasure, Rick. And and what's really great is that you are back on the road and doing some shows in North America and. You know, when you hit that that age of 25, 26, 27, you said, I'm done with all of this, and you walked away, and now you're back. And so I want to start with that. With you being, I mean, back, I mean, it's been a few years that, that you've been active again, but but just talk to me about getting out there and playing these shows. I know you have a fear of flying, so hopefully you'll make it over unscathed, but just talk to me about getting in front of an audience and just sharing those those songs and those moments. Yeah, it's to be honest, it's been it's been pretty amazing. I think this last sort of ten years, I guess, I've been doing gigs again. And um, uh, I mean, the flying thing was interesting because I I, I wouldn't say it's the reason I stopped because it's not, but I think it was one of the it was a catalyst and it was also a thing that made me start questioning things like why am I flying to flying? I've done more flying than a lot of pilots, I think. You know what I mean? Back in the day, and um, like I like. And I think it was a symptom. It was like, you're just not happy anymore. You should quit. You need to walk away. And that's what I did. Um, but I think this last, you know, uh, like I say, almost decade, I guess, or whatever it's been of doing gigs, I do the gigs I want to do. I do the traveling I want to do. I'm not necessarily um, out there, you know, promoting a record all the time. And, and I don't have that feeling of being um, a bit of a pig on a skewer kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, I, I do what I want to do. And I think that, that lends itself for the whole thing just being really fun. Um, and and even even the flying and the traveling and what have you, I kind of enjoy that a lot more than I ever have, to be honest. Um, and I think going out and doing gigs where you've kind of got to work a bit harder, I think, to some degree. I think I've had some amazing loyal fans over the years who, you know, have 
who've wanted to come and see me and stuff. And uh, you know, that's been that's been really precious and pretty amazing. Um, but I also think there's an element of people thinking he's still alive, <laughs> you know. And I think so. I think you know you have to. I think you have to work at it a bit. Uh, I think back in the day when I was having those hits, it's almost like a guaranteed thing. You know, you sold so many records. You're on the radio all the time. You're on what was MTV for you know for real all the time. All the rest of it. Um, whereas now I think it's 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 not like starting again exactly, but it's definitely relighting a fire. Um, right. So it's kind of nice. It's been a really good challenge. And you know, back in those days, you had that the entire machine behind you. You know, even yeah. if you didn't want to go on the road, the machine got you on the road. And so now you really, but uh, but but talk to me about then that dichotomy of now and then because you were really just part of this machine, and 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 they 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 churned you out, and and, and everybody else, whether it's Madonna or, or or any of the bands that you know. Yeah. Uh, talk to me now about having this freedom to choose and. And looking back and saying, okay, I want to make music. And I want to get to this album 50 that you did two years ago, um, mm. because I'm turning 50 this year. And so, <laughs> uh-huh. so, uh-huh. so I need, I need to know what it was like to, so, but, well, for me, yeah. to, to be honest, for me, I kind of made that record as a, as a, 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 you could call it a midlife crisis moment or, or a moment of saying, you're going to be 50. Have you still got a record in you? Have you got any music in you that's worth making? So I started the thing at home and I ended up making the whole record at home, to be honest. And I, I, I wrote all the songs, I produced it, and I actually played everything, every single note on that record I played myself. And so it was a labor of love and it was, it was a project that I wanted to do. I didn't have a record label, I just did it. And I did release it through the record label I used to be with BMG. And, and it's been an amazing experience because uh, not really anywhere else, but here in the UK, we had a lot of success with that. We had a number one album, it went That's platinum, right. which was bonkers, which was like top grade, completely nuts for that to happen. Nobody expected that, including me. That's for sure, including me. So that's been an amazing experience. You know, we've we've done a couple of tours and gigs where I'm singing new songs and people are singing along to them in the exact same way as they're singing the old ones. And that has been that's been unbelievable to be honest. That's been like a real moment, you know. Um obviously we haven't had that kind of success with the record or the radio anywhere else and, and that's fine, you know, I'll I'll take the UK, that's fine. But I think because of the internet, then people find stuff, you know, and whether it's me, uh whether it's somebody even older than me, if that's possible, um, you know, they will find what you're doing if they want to. And so you know, we've had opportunities to do gigs in different parts of the world. We're 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 having a bit of that. You know, we're having a we're having, you know, a bit of a a moment. And and I think also social media. You know, people let you know. You know, if they if they want you to make a new record or they like your new record, they'll let you know. And if they don't, they'll also let you know that as well. Um, so it's been pretty amazing. Um, I didn't expect it, and like I say, I didn't I didn't even go about it in that way. I didn't even go and try and go to a record label and say, hey, I want to make a record. I kind of just brought them one and said, what do you think of this? And I think that has sort of been the best way to do it because it's been, you know, it's, it's an overused word, but it's been a very organic thing where I've gone, look, I've made some music. Do you want to put it out? And they did, we did. And you know, it's been great. So, um, yeah. And very just, personal actually, too. Yeah. And I think also because I, I wrote the songs and, and kind of put them down without a view to thinking that maybe a lot of people were ever going to hear it. So I wrote, lyrically what i wanted to write and it just it was almost a bit cathartic and a bit of a i'm not going to say it was therapy but it was it was a nice thing to do emotionally for me do you know what i mean and i think that well, I think in a way maybe that's 
you know, maybe people have picked up on that. And I have, and I, and, I, and that's what I want to get to, because we were talking about the machine before, and of course you had Mike Stock and, and Matt Aitking and Peter Waterman, yeah, and sure. they churned out hits for everybody. I mean, Banana yeah, Rama, yeah. Kylie Minogue, uh, Dead or Alive, yeah. I mean, and you were one of them, of course. Mm. But when you go to 50, you really say, okay, listen, I was a teen idol, or, or, or I was an idol, and here I am, I'm 50, and I've still got this in me, and not only that, but I'm going to write these songs myself. Uh Talk to me a little bit about the stock Aitman Waterman contributions mm. to your career, but also the fact to say, "Hey, wait a minute, folks! I can do this myself." There's not just well, if, I mean, to be fair, the only reason that I got a chance to uh, make right. not make the record because, like I say, I made it at home, I did it myself, but to actually release it properly was because I had the hits back in the day. And the only reason I had the hits back in the day was because three guys who knew what they were doing. Um, made those hits you know and i i i have no issue or problem with that at all um funnily enough just as a bizarre circle um i went to see banana rama recently uh on the uk tour because some of the guys i know play with them and stuff and all the rest of it and play in my band as well and i know the girls anyway i know them quite well um and i sat down in right five rows in um hammersmith Odeon in london and who sat next to me but pete waterman <laughs> so that was pretty weird um and I see him like once or twice a year anyway. I catch up with him and stuff and, we, you know, we, we bump into each other and stuff. Um, but let's face it, the, the reason that I've got opportunities today is because they wrote some pretty amazing pop songs back in the day and they knew what they were doing. And, yeah, it was a bit of, of a conveyor belt and it was a bit of a machine, a factory, all those kind of slightly derogative ways of putting it. But so was Motown. You know, I, and I'm by the way, I didn't mean to be di- disrespectful about it because no, I'm, not, I'm not saying okay. you are. I'm not okay. saying you are, but I'm saying some people are because okay. you know that they, they they can look at uh, it, it's it's often if something's very pop and very successful, then it kind of gets sort of tarnished a little bit. I think, and 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 that's I probably do it as well. So you know, it's just the way it is. But I think if you look at Motown, um, they had a very similar setup. The one thing Motown did, I think, in, you know, to be fair to them, is they signed Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye and lots of other incredible, amazing artists who went on to be such amazing, you know, songwriters and producers and, and, and all the rest of it and great artists. I think the Stock Aitken Waterman thing was more about it being proper, in your face, cutting edge pop and what they did. It wasn't about finding the next Stevie Wonder for them. It was just about finding someone who can sing their current hits. You know what I mean? So they weren't really that motivated by that. I think right. really they they weren't interested in developing artists. They were in. Sorry, that's not fair. Not developing them to be their own artist. You know what I mean? So, right. Um, but I, but I know for a fact that if I wouldn't have had, never going to give you up, and and obviously a couple of others. Uh, that wouldn't have given me an opportunity to come back all these years later and have a record and have it get played on the radio a little bit and and all the rest of it. That just wouldn't have happened, right. you know. Nobody, nobody, nobody lets a fifty-year-old guy make a record. That's the, that just doesn't happen. So, well, um, well you just ruined yeah. my summer. That means I can't go to record. Well, hey, hey listen, <laughs> no, but you know what? You can make one. I just am not so sure they're going to release it properly. You know what I mean? But because um, I no. made one, you know what I mean, without right. a record label, but. Um, yeah, I'm just a realist in that sense. But, but I, I, I do know I what you mean, my... because cause you look, I come from a, of a more hard rock background, and, and, and of course, during right. the 80s, uh, Holly Knight, Desmond Child, and Adam Mitchell, yeah. and all these people were writing songs. Um, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I, I want to get to this album, My Red Book. It was re- recorded in ah. 2012, 2013. <laughs> 
yeah. sent out to some media, sent out to some fan, fan club members, and at some point, the plug is pulled on it, whether you pulled it or somebody, you just went, hmm, okay, maybe I shouldn't put these out there, or maybe it's not red. Talk to me about my red book. Why was it sort of called back from 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 think, the public? I think in a nutshell, because I don't think I was really, um, I don't think I was really ready to sort of commit to that. Um, and also, to be honest, I don't really think there was a, a, a enough interest from a, from a, an actual record label to do it properly. And I know artists do release their own records and stuff, but it's, I just don't think it's that easy. Do you know what I mean? I think it's, it's a bit of a nightmare out there in terms of trying. And, and, and again, I think it's moving so fast all the time. Um, it's probably easier today for somebody to independently make and produce and release their own album than it was even four or five years ago. Um, I think it's, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's a really, uh, it's moving so fast of what people can do now. Um, but I think I just didn't feel I was really ready. I kind of made this, I kind of made an album and I just felt that I wasn't really sure it was, it was a record I wanted to, uh, I'm not going to say have a comeback with, cause I mean, I, I, I never anticipated having an actual comeback. It was more of just, that's what I'm capable of at the time. And uh, I don't think I was 100% happy with it myself. And I just kind of felt that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really fair to myself to do that. And yet, but with 50, I felt 100% comfortable with it and proud of it. And I also think it was just a turning point in my life of saying, I think there's an element of saying, I just don't care anymore when you reach 50. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't care whether other people like it or whether they think it works or anything i'm just not bothered i'm doing it that's it you know what i mean um yeah. oh, maybe, oh, maybe yeah. that maybe that's a bit frightening but um that's just the way i felt about it you know so so good so so 50 is is, is empowering i can't wait um yeah i think so <laughs> it was for me maybe maybe it's a maybe it's a nightmare for some people but yeah. and, and if i'm really brutal about this i'm sorry any ladies who are listening yeah. i think it's easier for guys in a way because I think I think there's certain there's certain ones out there, you know, the thirty, forty, fifty, sixty, whatever. I think for guys, I think we can sort of probably embrace it a bit more. I don't know, maybe I'm gonna get completely murdered for saying no. that. But I think for women I think it's just you know, you look at Hollywood and you look at certain you know, even the music business and what have you and, and just any walk of life and I think women get the shitty end of the stick when it comes to being, you know, um a mature woman, I think, you know, men get away with murder. I think if I'm re- if I'm really honest, you know, we, we, yep. um, yeah. you know, uh, Hollywood's probably the prime example of that, you know, but I think the music industry is definitely up there with it. You know, men are allowed to just get old and women, um, I don't know, they get, they get, I don't know, they get kind of, they get a raw deal with that, I think. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. For a man. I, I agree with that. Now, um, I know we only had 20 minutes, so I just, I'm just going to move to a sort of off-topic here. But the uh, Midge-Ur All-Star Band from the Princess Trust Concert 1988, you've got Brian May wow. of Queen, right? Mm. You've got Howard Jones, you've got Mark, and I can't pronounce his last name, Mick Karn, Midge-Ur, and of course Phil Collins of Genesis, who of course at the time yeah. was having an incredible solo career on top oh of God. it. I've just, I've just read his biography, by the way. It's brilliant. If yes. anybody's looking yes. for a book to read, get that. Yeah, brilliant. By the way, uh, just uh, with Phil Collins real quick, what he did that was also very brilliant is that he re-released or remastered all his CDs or albums, and he he put his new face on the covers. So you've got – no, that is just – that is smart. 
I mean, I, yeah, smart. Uh, yeah. But here you are, a young, young, young Rick, and you've got Queen behind you and Genesis behind you and Majeur, uh, and you're singing your song, the song. Uh, talk to me about that moment because it must have been somewhat surreal, right? Because here, first of all, you're doing pop with guys that, well, okay, maybe Phil Collins was pop, but still. Uh, just talk to me about that moment, that that moment of like, whoa, what am I doing I mean, here? To, to, well, to give you a little perspective, they had like a rehearsal um, aircraft hangar, let's call it, right. um, where we all went to kind of, you know, meet up and play through the tunes and all the rest of it. And <clears throat> I've actually met him a few times since this, so, so it wasn't quite, um, yeah, it's hard to get perspective on it. Um, I walk into the room and... They're all there, and um, they played through the song, and you know we all said hello, and they played through the song, and then after playing it once, Brian May said to me, um, "I'm thinking of doing, a, I'm thinking of doing a solo over that eight bars there. Are you okay with that?" And I'm like, "Yes, Brian, I'm okay with that." <laughs> um, just yeah, amazing, really. The moments I think that you kind of uh, hope and dream are going to happen. Uh, you know, that's one of them. And, and uh, yeah, I think back to it sometimes and just think, yeah, that was pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing. And, and of course, you, you sort of replicated that, uh, I guess, last year with uh, the Foo Fighters. And you uh, you came out and you surprised their crowd, which was like, wow, that that's great. Yeah, I mean, that, that was pure bonkers, to be honest, because obviously, you, you know, you're talking about a bander at the top of the game in every respect. You know, I think that the, the latest record is... is possibly one of their best albums they've made. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they're kind of fading or anything. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, at, they're at the top of the game, I think. They're just incredible live band and, and, and you know, still making amazing records. Um, and just unbelievably chilled out at the same time. It, I, I can't, because I hung out with them a little bit, obviously. I met them in Japan because, you know, I was lucky enough to be on a festival that they were headlining and... I just, you know, my band and my wife and a few of the guys in the crew, we, we, you know, we went up to the side of the stage to watch their set as anybody would, you know, um, you were saying that you, you're more of a rocker and believe it or not, I, I have a bit of that in me as well. I play drums in a little power rock punk band still. It's a midlife, that is a midlife crisis, but it's brilliant. And, um, so yeah, so I was really looking forward to seeing them that close up, you know what I mean? Cause obviously being out in a normal arena sort of or, or stadium thing to see them is one thing, but to actually be stood on the same stage as them at the side is amazing. And just in the middle of the set, um, Dave Grohl walked over and introduced himself. And then 20 minutes later sort of invites me onto the stage and it's just freaky an absolutely bizarre and amazing moment. And, um, yeah, not something I'm going to ever forget to be honest. Uh, yeah. just, it, it, also, just for all the right reasons, because getting to know them a little bit afterwards, and I'm not saying I'm one of their mates now or anything, I would never profess to that, but, I'm, but you know, they're just such warm and friendly and open guys anyway. Um, and I think it's because they're really good at what they do. I think anyone who's got hang-ups because they're a bit insecure and they're like, oh, you know, da, 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 those are the people who are, who are a pain in the ass. And, and these guys are just as comfortable as could possibly be, you know? Um, and I think, again, it kind of, it shows how comfortable they are because I'm not doing myself down, but that they're willing to, <laughs> to invite me on the stage to sing that song um, because they know that they're going to tear it up, you know? And um, so, yeah, it was brilliant. And, and, I've, and, I've, I've done it a couple, sorry. 
and they 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 did a great version and and it was just it was just so endearing to watch because it it just goes to show the power of song because of course you know there's been this rick rolling and all kinds of stuff where people are sort of making fun of the song but then at the end of the day you realize they're embracing it and it's like yeah that's what it's all about um let me just quickly talk about that song march 1988 march 12th exactly and then march 19th you are number one on the the billboard hot 100 it is now 30 years to the month uh that the song hit number one you know, you had the song, you had the hits, you had everything. You're going out with Brian May. You're you're a millionaire at 22. Where did you say, you know what, this is not for me? Why did you unplug and say um, it's not for me? I, I think I think it was a number of things. I think um, my wife and I had uh, our daughter, and that I think shed a bit of light on a few things and put things into perspective a bit. Um, I also think that I. I'd sort of achieved one or two things that I really wanted to do. Um, and I think, I think the edge had gone off it a little bit for me. And I looked around at people in my position and, and, and very often I was looking at people who didn't look very happy to me. And maybe if I was in a band, you know, and I had four or five guys, girls, whatever to share it with and to mix it with and to, you know what I mean? And just kind of, you know, that might have been different, but I was, I was on my own. I mean, I had a great manager who, who, you know, who I still see to this day. He doesn't manage me anymore, but I still friends with him and hang out with him. And he was the best man at my wedding and all the rest of it. But it's not the same as going on a stage with four guys or girls or whatever that you've known, you know what I mean? And that, that you're a, and I think, I don't know. I'm not saying I was lonely. I wasn't lonely exactly, but I think I just looked at it and I didn't have that one other person or two or three other people to say, look, let's just have a break for a bit and we'll regroup and we'll come back and we'll what have you. So when I was getting a bit, uh, I don't know, when I was just getting a bit sick of it, um, I think I just said, you know what? I think I'm done. And maybe I did it too early and too uh, prematurely. I don't know. But for me, I kind of looked at that, especially with pop music. There's not many artists who, who have 20 year careers. I mean, there's just not many of them, you know, and, and they made a different stuff. Um, I don't think I've got that in me. I don't, I don't think I've got that desire. Uh, probably don't have the talent, even if I'm really going to be honest about it. You look at someone like Madonna or you look at maybe, you know, let's even say like a band like U2 and kind of think they've sustained that for those years for very good reasons. And that is because they are pretty damn good at what they do. Uh, you don't have to love either of those artists, but you've got to respect them. And you've got to say they've made some records that are never, ever going away. And they've become part of what is the, the you know, the, 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 the framework of what we know as modern day music. And I'm not so sure I was one of those artists, if I'm really honest. Um, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm proud of what I'm doing at the moment. Um, but I don't think I could have done it for 25, 30 years. Um, so I'm glad I kind of quit when I did, because it also enables me to sing my old songs with a bit of vigor and a bit of fun and a bit of enjoyment because I haven't been doing it for 30 years. Do you know what I mean? Um, you haven't beaten them so. to, to a pulp uh, oh, for 30 years. Um, but okay. Wait, so let me just ask you about never going to give you up. Is it possible that a song is just too big and too successful? Cause when you get to hold me in your arms and free in 91, mm. was the record company coming to you saying, that's really nice there, uh, Rick, but uh, we don't hear another never going to give you up. So, uh, try again i I think i think to be honest sorry to interrupt you but i think to be honest i think i think they've got other fish to fry you know that's what record labels do they they go right this is really hot let's milk this let's do this let's let's make this the biggest thing we can make it 
And then when they see the signs that that's not happening because either the artist isn't into it or doesn't have it anymore or did or whatever, you know, they start looking around the label and going, right, well, who's the next one or sign the next one? You know what I mean? So I don't, I don't think they, I think they just looked at it and went, well, what, one minute he was this, now he's not. Now he's trying to perhaps make records that are a bit different than never going to give you up. And we're not selling 10 million albums anymore. Well, we're going to go and do that with someone else. And, and I think that's okay. That's, that's the nature right. of the business. Um, Which so is sad, though, because you're, really... you're, you're disposable. It's just like, eh. Yeah, but that's, that, that, I mean, you know, not many things in life aren't, to be honest. Um, you know, and if you, you look at fashion and you look at music, um, they're pretty closely linked to a, to a great degree. Um, and when that dog has had its day, it's had its day, and that is it. Um, and, and, and to some degree... I think the fact that certainly with this record 50 that I made, you know, um, I think there was, uh, I've used the word before, there's a bit of empathy with people because they kind of go, we get that. He had a few years. He kind of <laughs> walked away and um, wants to just have a little, you know, little toe in the water project again and do it. And, and I've done that. And I think there's been a bit of goodwill towards me, to be honest, certainly in this country, yes. definitely. Oh, yes. And I kind of think, well, Great, I'll grab that with both hands and run with it, and uh, and and I see the rest of the world, to be honest, as as a bit of an adventure. It's not, you know, I'm not I'm not coming to to Canada or the states thinking that we're gonna, you know, have this big album uh, go platinum and do all. I'm I'm genuinely not. I mean, if it happens, you know, and and I've just made another record, like I say. So if it happens, you know, great. I'll 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 have that any day of the week, but. It's uh, for me. It's kind of just like, well, it's nice to get out there and play. So we get offers to go to places, and I either say yes or no, depending on whether I want to go or not. Right. It's that simple, you know. And um, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I, I am slightly envious sometimes when I see certain artists that have had thirty-year careers, and I kind of think, how the hell did you do that? You know, what is running through your veins to make you do that? Because it don't run through my veins, but I, I, you know, I can, I can appreciate it. You know, a great conversation to have with Mick Jagger is what keeps him going. And of course, the uh, Toronto show and the Montreal show uh, that are coming up are sold out. I mean, just completely sold out. So, yeah, uh, which is amazing. You know, we're, uh, we're not we're not playing the Enorma Dome, but it's fantastic to fill anywhere. To be honest, I'm, I'm, it's it just creates the right atmosphere when you do the gig. It just feels great. It's just a really nice feeling to walk into a place and know. There's nobody else we can get in here. It's just a nice feeling, so that's great. Yeah, and and the Corona Theater is a, is a great venue. I've been there uh, a lot recently with uh, for Uriah Heep and Nazareth and other bands, and you're one of the only ones that have sold it out. So so you know, oh, wow, congratulations. great. I'll take that. Now I know that we both have we both have other interviews in the next couple of minutes, but uh, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And uh, thank you. It, it was just, uh, you know, since I'm not that much uh, younger than you, only a couple of years, your song and your stuff was sort of my song and my stuff at the same time back then. And, and it was just, it, thank you for the memories. It was just absolutely not at all. Merci, as we say. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. Thank and you. we'll see yeah, you in a couple of weeks thanks. in Montreal. Brilliant. Thanks, Mitch. Merci. Thank bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And a big thank you to Rick Ashley. I loved that chat. I just think that that was fun. That was compelling. And I think music and a music show should be fun. And it should be compelling. And so Rick was, was Rick was the perfect uh, 
fit for that. But uh, let us move over to our last interview of the day. We have got Alex from the band Tax the Heat. New album is called Change Your Position. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, they are managed by the same management team that handles Europe, Saxon, Uriah Heat, Black Star Riders, and Thin Lizzy. And it is just so nice to see a management team put their faith in new bands. And they have two. They have Stiff Little Fingers and Tax the Heat. And uh, to talk about this, I've got Ron Keel joining me. Good day, Ron. Welcome Good back day. to our third part. Thank you. And great, great conversation with Rick Astley, by the way. Way to go, man. Yeah, yeah, that, that was just, just a lot of fun. And just before we get into all of this, let me just remind the folks, check out Metal Cowboy from the EMP Outlaw label group, Ron Keel Band, Fight Like a Band, coming out August 31st. And this is what this is where I'm really excited. It is the uh, reissue, reissues remastered by Rock Candy of the Keel albums, The Final Frontier and Keel. And I have to say, I'm particularly excited because it is rock candy. Had it just been, oh, some label is doing it, I would have been like, eh, some labels, eh. they don't take the care. But but the rock candy folks, they are fans first, businessmen later, and they care about the music and they care that these releases sound right. And so it's just great, right? I mean, am I right about rock candy? Absolutely. Uh, from their very first couple of reissues that they did, gosh, what, it's been 15 years now, I think, or so, they've been in business they always do it right. They always bring bring back these albums, these long lost classics that are, are so hard to get that uh, have a a special place in our hearts, our memories, and uh, our lives. The soundtrack of our youth, so to speak, and yep. uh, that uh, self titled Keel album from 1987, which included "Somebody's Waiting," "Cherry Lane," "I Said the Wrong Thing to the Right Girl." And these are anthem type hits that uh, people still ask us to play today, and they're still part of the show. And to get those albums back. Yeah, in the hands of the fans who have clamored for them for so many years is a huge thrill. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than being at a show and have a fan come up and say, can you sign this? And you go, where'd you get that? And you go, eBay for 250 bucks. And you go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not that's not right. So so it's it's nice that they're going to get them at a nice, affordable price. Um, what I bought them th- myself, man. I mean, I literally, I've scoured eBay for some, because uh, I like to keep my collection up too. And I've, I've paid 50, 100 bucks or more for a copy of those albums. So to have them... Uh, Reissued by Rock Candy is is a, a, a true blessing, especially uh, on the Keel Bank account. Yeah. What, are, by the way, are going to be the bonus tracks? Because they always do some bonus tracks. Is it some live stuff? Is it some B-sides? What What is sort of the, the extra extra on these ones? You know, I don't think we're going to have any bonus tracks on these. Uh, we've pretty much exhausted the vault, and I think these two albums stand on their own. So we're just going to release them as is, but remastered and louder than ever. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I mean, feel free, feel free to throw rock and roll hell on both of them. But um, let's get oh, over thank to you. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, hey, why not? The more, the more people listen. I just want people to hear that track because everybody who participated in the Kiss a World with Heroes CD or uh, project, for, for the lack of a better word, everybody gave it their best. None of the songs are, you know, rushed or thrown away. There's, there's Every, and so I just want everybody to hear them and, and your version and, you know, Chris Buck doing Sure Know Something and, and, and God, that, wow, there's, there's just a lot of great stuff. But uh, Tax yeah, the Heat. As, yeah, go ahead. His tributes, as far as his tributes go, it is absolutely the best of the best. And I've done a couple of them, but uh, nothing compares to A World with Heroes. And I was really proud to be a part of it. Yeah. And it's it's still available on, on iTunes, I, I believe, though I haven't seen any checks from it in four years but (laughs) 
Yeah. Somebody somewhere is, 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 is anyway, but it's still up there. Um, but here we are. We've got this this siren management. They have Europe and Saxon, like I said, and they've got Tax to Heat and their new album, of course, Change Your Position. It, it makes sense, right, for, for a management team to grab a younger act because at some point, right, Saxon is doing a 40th anniversary tour in 2019. Europe has been around over 30 years. Uriah Heap, we know. At some point, these bands are going to retire, and if your stable of artists retires and you don't got another young buck in the in, in the barn, you're done. So exactly, companies like that, uh, like Siren Management, and like your show and my radio show, we've got to continue to cultivate and support uh, new up and coming talent and bands, especially like Tax the Heat. Before you told me I was going to ride shotgun with you on the show this week, I had no idea who they are. Now I'm hooked. I'm a fan. And I uh, found them at TaxTheHeat.com. Great stuff, man. Yeah, it really is. And but I'm just trying to think, how would you describe their music? Because they're signed to Nuclear Blast, which is which is a heavy metal label. But they're not a heavy metal band, at least not to me. Um, is it just hard rock? I mean, because they've yeah, got their I... own twist. I mean, they're not just copying stuff from, from 50 years or 30 years ago. They, they really have a Tax The Heat sound it's unique it's it's guitar rock i mean if you want to put a label on it it's guitar rock but so difficult to classify a lot of these acts today what is metal anymore i mean uh to me metal was priest and saxon and and uh now i'm playing lamb of god and stuff like that on my show and and i i just i don't know i play i played lamb of god and and priest back to back today i'm going man metal has certainly changed through the years but uh this tax the heat uh act I, i do believe it's modern Guitar rock. They're getting a lot of comparisons to Rival Sons, which is uh, another one of our favorite bands. And those comparisons are deserved. However, Tex the Heat's got a special identity all their own. Yeah, and and I hope that now that you've heard them and, the, and you've become a fan, I hope that they'll end up on your show and maybe doing an interview or, or at least spinning a couple of their tunes because I, I really believe that they deserve it. They're they're a good band, a, a nice, honest young band, and to see again, like I said, a management team. Bet on on the old ponies, but also put a few shekels down on the new ponies is smart business. It's just absolutely. Uh, they need a big tour like uh, the rival sons had the entire Black Sabbath farewell tour. I mean, you can't ask for a better showcase than that. Hopefully tax the heat will uh, come to this side of the pond and, and uh, support uh, a major act on a major tour so we can all get to see them live. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just get over to Alex from tax the heat. The album is called change your position so ladies and gentlemen here is the one the only alex from tax the heat we are speaking with vocalist guitarist alex veal of the band tax the heat new album is change your position alex a great great pleasure to talk to you again we had done an interview for the first album and uh you know thank you for for that and and thank you for being back anytime it's a pleasure it's a pleasure absolutely so let's get into change your position because what's always easy is when you have your entire life to write a first album and come out with 10 tunes not you know you've got 20 years to do that 30 years sometimes in some cases Uh, talk to me about getting into sort of the sophomore album and having a lot less time and and just getting these songs put together yeah so it's obviously uh, i think is quite a daunting thing um coming up with your your second album uh, for those reasons that you've just said um and once we finished i remember 
we all went out for a meal uh, the day Fed to the Lions, the first album came out, and I spoke to the producer, Evanson, and I, I just said to him, I honestly don't know how I'm going to do that again. Like, how am I, where am I going to get these songs from? I don't know how I'm going to do it. And um, and we did some gigs, and, and then we'd obviously spoke about trying to get on with doing the, the next album. And um, over the summer, after that album came out, I just had loads of ideas coming to me. Um, and I was really, really excited about them. Um, and I took took them to the band, and I could kind of hear the big picture. I could sort of, I kind of could see where it was going. But they, the the original ideas were met with a bit of a kind of uh, a lukewarm kind of response. I don't think I think I was kind of ahead of where the others were. They like some of these songs were so uh, in kind of skeleton form. I think it it, w- it was hard for them to see it. And it wasn't until uh, we started jamming around a song a few weeks after that that ended up being uh, all that medicine on on the album that it really helped give us a kind of blueprint of where we wanted to go with it and what what this new stuff was kind of all about. Uh, and I sent I sent um, the uh, the demos to uh, our producer as well. And I I really didn't know what what people were going to think and. Um, and he came back to me and he said, these are great. These are really, really good. And once he'd said that, I felt I felt really good and confident about it. I knew we were onto something good. Um, and then it kind of just, we just plowed into it and didn't stop. And just, I tapped myself dry on, on all kinds of uh, writing levels to get to get it, hap- get it out, get make it happen, you know. Talk to me about the band's sound, because... It- it does have sort of this retro, retro sound that if you if you want to really start deconstructing, you can you can hear some Beatles and you can hear some Yardbirds and you can hear this stuff from the past. Talk to me about putting those influences in the music, but also staying sort of fresh and staying current and and I don't want to say relevant, but being but 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 finding that niche in the marketplace, which is sort of unforgiving to sort of older bands. People want you know drum loops and they want all kinds of special effects but you're basically a guitar band we are a guitar band and that is exactly it and i think i think right now in the world i think it's not a great time to be a guitar band but it's what we love to do um and i think whenever you see a really truly great guitar band it doesn't even matter if you're into like guitar music as such if you see it done well it can it can just take over you and get you on board with it it should just be about being entertained and enjoying it and and feeling what it's like to see instruments played and uh and hitting you in that way i think going back to your question um like when we started the band we were very much focusing on on older bands and thinking about what it would be like to be a new band that had that energy of of sort of bands from the 60s and what it would be like to see a band like that now uh playing in in a club uh, and uh and playing really hard and, and giving it everything they could but i think after that initial uh stage of writing we naturally let other influences in and um and that continued to happen. And then we got to this second album and it was almost like, I'm going to almost ignore all of that thought process and just let it happen. Let it happen. What is tax the heat? And yeah, we listened to a lot of old, old school stuff and that did inspire us in the first place. 
that's where it's come from but there's so much other stuff we listen to and i think we just broke down those walls and let everything else in as much as we could um and also another thing i think that keeps it like relevant um is trying to discover new sounds within it trying to get yourself into what you're doing in a big way by find maybe there's another way of finding a a kind of strange guitar sound that will set the tone of a song and maybe or maybe even lead to a song that you've not done uh so i think we we are always thinking of how we can push ourselves and better ourselves uh in that respect yeah really absolutely um muse frontman matt bellamy has said that the guitar has become a textural instrument and rather than a lead instrument how do you see sort of the the place for guitar? Because since you are a guitar rock band, do you agree with him that the that the guitar is just a texture or a flavor to a song now, and no longer a lead instrument? I I read about that in the week, and uh, I just thought it was a bizarre thing to to kind of say in some ways, because really I think that explains a lot about the way they are looking at being in a band. And I mean, Muse are great, but Really, I don't think they've made they've made as good albums as they did when I consider them to be all about being a guitar band. Like, I don't want to hear Muse doing like a kind of electronic thing, maybe in bits. But I mean, to me, they should be a guitar band. They should be putting that at the forefront. Um, it's too easy to go that route. And it kind of to think of it as a fashion thing as well. I mean, it's not it's it's never been that it transcends fashion it's it's not that it's like it's part it's your tool it's what you use to make music but it also happens to be the best sounding thing in the world i just think it's kind of somewhere along the way in the last probably 10 to 15 years uh lost its way a little bit and it's it's found in the mainstream it's found itself on the back seat but i think that's because there's not been bands using it the way i like it to be used um and maybe like i i guess the thing that will make things fashionable or popular is whether kids get into it and it's whether the younger generation will kind of embrace the band like that now um and i i don't know i it's, it's a real hard one i i don't think of it like that at all i de- definitely don't i think it's got so much more clout and, and power to it yeah, I mean, it struck me as a bit of a, and I, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it struck me as a bit of a pompous kind of statement that, oh, it's just a texture. And it's like, mm, well, no. <laughs> you know, yeah, I think. Drums, guitar, vocal are pretty much your top three, bass, top four, and, and all the cow bells and all. That's texture. This this is, that, that's the forefront. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, You told me previously that when you write an album it is meant to be played live every song on the album is is a song that you want to be able to bring to the live context and i'm going to hit you with something else here but ozzy osbourne has just said that he doesn't write albums like that and he makes albums that are specifically or some songs are specifically meant to be album cuts only uh talk to me about why for you it's important to have songs that can translate to the live arena why not sort of experiment with some really trippy stuff and have okay we know we're never going to be able to play this live at least not as the band without tapes and stuff um talk to me about that writing thing where it has to be a live thing 
Uh, I think for us, I, I again, this is another thing that's just become like acceptable, like bands using backing tracks. Like, and Muse is one; they use backing tracks. Um, going back to to them previously, I just like I don't know when that became acceptable. Really, I don't think that that's that's cool. Like, it, if you're going to see three, four, five, however many people on stage playing music. That's what they should be doing. They shouldn't be. It shouldn't be on a backing track. You you could listen to that at home, and also I think it's the fundamental way of finding out whether a song is any good. If you're playing it as a band and you're looking at each other, you're gauging these parts and you're gauging what you're doing, uh, bouncing things off each other. You know whether it's good or bad. I think yeah, you can use the studio as a tool to write. But whenever I've done that in the past and come to trying to put it as a live thing, it inevitably just falls on its ass and it doesn't really work. Um, so it, it's very important. And that's how we cut the album. We cut it with us playing in a, in a room like we did the first one. And when we do these album launch gigs um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be playing the album from start to finish in its entirety as well. Uh, we got two shows where we're going to be doing that. And See, look at that. You stole my next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was going to ask you, because that's what I was leading to. You are going to do these shows where you play Change Your Position from, from start to finish. Uh, so talk to me about that challenge and the importance of the live show to the band. So, it, I mean, it is a challenge. It absolutely is. And um, because with this, we pushed ourselves so far and I guess in some ways uh, we were using uh, the studio in a, in, a, in a certain context because there's many backing vocal parts, but there's not extra guitar overdubs. Everything is played and it will be played live. But the other guys in the band sing backing vocals. So there's there's stuff like that. But they're all going to be performed. It's just working hard to make it sound right and 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 being true to the songs and it, it sounds great we had a rehearsal today it sounded really really great um and it's so i think it's really important because i was saying this in an interview earlier like the uh the live experience is one of the few things left uh in entertainment and music that cannot be replicated or disposed of it's it's not a throwaway thing it it's there it's of the moment you have to be in it and absorb it and give yourself to it. And then you'll have a really good time and it will never, ever happen again. So if you can do something to make a concert even more like that and special then you should, and that's why we're going to be doing these songs like this, we may never, ever do them again in that order. Um, it may just be this one time. So if you come in to see us and you got tickets, first of all, and, and, uh, we're kind of first to, to the gate to get them, then you're going to be seeing this. This is a one-off situation. And I, I for one, love it when bands do things like that. I think that's, that's great. You, you are part of something really special. Oh, I agree. Um, do you see yourself, though, at some point, or, or do you have sort of an artistic desire at some point, whether it's now or in five years, to get into making a concept album or an experimental album, which will really just be, this is our studio masterpiece and these are the loops. And like, do you see yourself sort of growing musically or, or moving into a different music direction? Or do you really want to focus on this is tax to heat. This is what we do. 
we're not going to start doing this weird. I mean, so do you impose limits on, on what you're going to do artistically? I don't think we have really ever imposed limits. No. And if anything, I think maybe we started with some limitations in mind and broke them down fairly quick and let it happen. So I guess in some ways, who knows? Who knows where we could go with it? But I like to think that we uh, we have this kind of ethos and we are we we pride ourselves on being musicians and and players and writers and um and uh and, and live performers as well. So I think it would always have to fit into that bracket. I think we will just continue to push ourselves in that, that realm really. Um, I can't see us doing like a, as tax the heat, I can't see us doing like a, a studio only album. I'd love to hear the concept album we'd write. I think that could be, that could be interesting for sure. That would definitely be interesting. Um, one of the things that I, that I like about tax to heat is, you have these videos on YouTube where you take times to discuss the album or discuss the process or just talk to the fans in general. Uh, talk to me about the, the importance of having that connection with the fan base and using social media because we're not building a band or a brand like we used to where it was on the road 300 shows a, a year and you know it's not the 1970s anymore. So, so talk to me about that and doing those clips and being visible and being active on social media well i think social media is a good thing and a bad thing on on lots of levels um and i think it's all pretty obvious for why as well because you can get things to people straight away um but i mean something i think like a lot of those things they come about mainly because the record company uh one it might start like that they might say hey we love you to talk about the tracks and we can put it up to the people who are following you they can find out a bit more about you and we're kind of totally cool with that i think that's a really nice idea and for anybody who's interested it's there they can find stuff out it's great something we always wanted to try and retain is a little bit um of of a, of the mystery of what we're about and not trying to go too overboard with it because there's many bands who will put stuff out on Facebook and Twitter every day, like talking personally to fans. And I kind of think that's a bit strange. Like, I don't want, I don't really, for me personally, my favorite bands, I don't really care what they bought for their dinner. I don't care. Like, I don't, all I want to do is go to the gig and see, see them do their thing and listen to their music. That's all I'm interested in. I think there's this sometimes there's a bit of a perverse kind of nature to people wanting to find out as much about other people as possible. And then it kind of crosses a line. So I think it's trying to keep it. It adds to uh, what you're doing rather than retracts from what you're doing and takes away from the idea of what you're about. Um, but I think what we've done so far, we like we've just been completely cool about and and enjoyed doing and also really enjoy listening to uh hearing from people that's what social media is great for like when people get in touch and send you a message saying hey i heard this song this is great i love it or i saw you guys last night fantastic like those things are brilliant and that's that's one of the many good things with social media you know you know you bring, you bring up an important point because we've sort of lost the mystery of the band. And, and I think in, especially in, in the older days, when you think of Kiss or Led Zeppelin and stuff, 
and there was that mystery of who they were. And when they showed into your town, you sort of had to be part of the carnival. Whereas now you go, yeah, but I, I just saw them last night on YouTube. I don't really need to. Have we lost sort of that innocence in rock? Have we lost the mysticism, if you want, of, of what a rock band is? Yeah, I think we have to a degree. I think um, I think I'd be lying if I said we hadn't. I think we definitely have for a degree, and and it, like bands like Led Zepp, yeah, I mean, you would it would just be like a rumor. I would have thought like you'd hear about this, like you say, the the carnival coming into town. Oh man, I got to see that, and you you could only imagine like what seeing these bands would be like in the flesh. You might even have only seen a picture in a magazine or a poster or an album shot. That's it. Whereas now your information is right there. You can find out as much as you want about people. So you uh, have lost that. But what I think bands have to do now is how can they raise raise it and make it more interesting. So when you are going to a show or a gig, you're, see, you're witnessing something that is a bit different. And I think there's, there's quite a few ways of doing that as well. And I, I think it's very important. It, it shouldn't just be maybe it should be for some bands a band just playing on stage doing their thing but i i think you want to go and feel like you've experienced something oh that i agree what are some of the greatest challenges you have faced of being a new band i mean it's it's very easy for a legacy act to go book a tour and it's very easy for a legacy act to get on one of those you know rock cruises but talk about some of the specific challenges that you face going from zero, completely unknowns, to fed to the lions, now to change your position. What do you sort of have to do to build a fan base and, and, and let people know you exist? Um, we've, I think we've, we've faced quite a few challenges, really. And I think it's because, um, like, I think you could draw comparisons or hear influences in our music, but I don't think that there's... Uh, there's bands, there's many bands anyway, who are doing music like we are doing, who are maybe our sort of age in the UK. So I think we're kind of like an outside bet to a lot of people. So trying to get people on board is really, really hard. And Matt Bellamy is kind of right um, when he's talking about the mainstream media, because I think right now, like a guitar or a guitar solo, it, it's, it, it wouldn't make its way onto UK uh, mainstream radio. Everybody's kind of afraid of it. But the interest is still there, and the, and the shows are still – you can still have massive shows for, for rock bands, and it's the same in Europe and all over the world. Um, I think that's our biggest – the biggest thing uh, we face. There's no – there's not really a point of reference, I guess, for – a band like us at the moment because in our world in our eyes we're really really trying to do something new and push it forward um in a genre that's not really being pushed forward um and that makes it hard that is certainly a challenge uh i'm I'm gonna ask this but this is mostly for me (laughs) yep uh you've opened for black star riders and thunder now two bands that don't get over to north america often or in thunder's case ever uh and i'm a huge fan of both talk to me about opening for bands like that and 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 what it, what is it about thunder and black star riders that europeans get and north americans don't get oh that's a tough one it is um 
I, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just I'm just happy that I'm talking to a guy who actually got to be on stage with Thunder. That's <laughs> <laughs> I think with Thunder, I think the interesting thing with Thunder, and I first of all, I think it's so cool that they put a band like us on opening for them because we weren't really anybody at that point and we're still trying to make a name for ourselves it's not like we we've made it or anything like that but for them to back us and put us on a tour that was actually an arena tour was just super cool for them to do um and not many people would do that so first of all that that's great i also think with thunder i think there's a bit of a resurgence in what they do like talking to them they've i honestly feel like they've never been bigger than they are now and i think part of that is just because like it's perseverance and it's like they've obviously stayed true to what they do um so now they're kind of bigger than they ever were and i think there is a cooling and maybe there is a gap in the market for for like newer bands who are doing that so their fan base is still keen to go and watch them do what they do um whether it would be the same in North America, I don't know. I d- maybe they would be. If they got a, the right kind of tour, they they might might do quite well, I guess. I don't really know. But yeah, no. um, Black Star Riders as well, I think it's like, I think fair play to them as well. Like they, they came off the back of the Thin Lizzy thing and they started a new band. And even with a bit of clout, starting a new band is a really, really hard thing to do. Um, and they're, they're really, really hungry and to, to kind of make a name for themselves and like they're what three albums in and they're not showing any signs of of slowing down or, or stopping. And again, very cool for them to put us on and introduce us to their fans because that helps us enormously. Yeah, it really does. And and I know that you have another interview schedule, so I'll, I'll finish with this. Um, what you know you you're you've you've done these shows like we mentioned with thunder and you've done europe as well and and black stars and other bands and you've played a lot of shows in the uk and stuff what do you have to do to get over to north america and and just quickly talk to me about the challenges of of bringing the music to a different sort of continent different different fan base so it Answering your second question first there, like yeah. playing in a different uh, like different situation, different place. Uh, our first experience of that was touring on mainland Europe last year. And it was just a wonderful experience because it really felt like uh, different to the UK. Over there, rock music is rock music and it's for everybody and people go to have a good time and there's no judgment on that it is just about rock and roll and that is what we are about and it felt great to do that so we just had a blast and and kind of just let it happen basically it was it was fantastic in regards to getting across to to like north america and and doing stuff coming that way going from from the uk to the us um and and so on is uh is pretty hard actually because the visas are so expensive this way round. For us to go over there, it can be so expensive. Um, like you're talking sort of five thousand pounds a person, um, which if if you're looking at a band of four, like twenty thousand pounds or whatever, that's a lot of money. So at, at just purely on a on a on a financial point, you'd have to make sure it was totally worthwhile to do. 
Yeah, so I mean, that's it, why it's really difficult. And and fa- and I just ask this because fans always say to me, "Oh, why doesn't you know Black Star Rider here? Why doesn't Thunder come here?" And it's like, well, listen, it it's usually about twenty five thousand pounds to get the band just on the shore uh, yeah. between the flights and and the and the, so every band that comes here starts in this incredible financial hole. And Absolutely. if you're only going to be playing clubs to 150 people, or even if you're paying, playing to a thousand to wipe out that debt and come out ahead is almost not possible. So yeah, you can't. And I don't know what we can do to change that quite frankly, because it's, 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 it's killing the music actually. It's what it's doing slowly, but yeah. And like, I know bands, uh, who, uh, who like really, really like obviously believe in what they do and they take the risk of going over there and not doing the visa route and, and trying to do it that way. And, but that is just so risky now because, because of YouTube and social media, it's just so easy to find out if you get to customs or the border and they look you up and they see you're in a band, you're just going straight home and you're never, ever getting to go back. So it's just not the worth the risk. So you're exactly right. It, it's a real shame. And I don't know how they can change it because going the other way, it's fine. It's like if you were American or coming across and it, it, it would be like 200 pounds, I think, $200 yeah. to come and do shows in yeah, Europe. It's two, 200 or 250 yeah. And yeah, it's like, hey, we're open for business. Bring, bring us what you got. And it's it's a pity, you know. It is. It is. But we'll see. We'll see. I'd, I'd love to come over there. I think we, we'd do really well. Yeah, and uh, I, of course, would love to see a Tax the Heat show. We, we've had a chance to speak twice and uh, I don't know if I said this uh, at the beginning of the show, but but thank you for the last interview because you ended up putting it up on your um, website or your your you know your website for for many your official yeah. website as well, and it was just nice to see the appreciation of that, and and so I have an appreciation for the band and the music, and uh, you know just great pleasure. So thank you. No worries, Mitch. It's always a pleasure, mate. Absolutely, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to get you to North America. We have to experience tax to heat in oh, Canada yeah. and the states. And uh, please, Absolutely. folks, remember: change your position. New album. You like rock. You like music. You got to go get it. You got to buy this album. That's the last, the final point. Buy the album. You've been told. You've been, You've told. been told. You've been schooled <laughs> in the school nice. of rock. Merci, Monsieur. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mitch. Take care, man. Speak soon. You too. Bye-bye now. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn.